Episode number 25 of the Dr. Bo Show. Today, Ian Ramsey joins me. He is a writer, educator, outdoor athlete based out of Maine, overall badass. He's the director of the Kaufman Program for Environmental Writing and Wilderness Exploration. He is part of Physiology First. He's a guide for Aspire Adventure Running. Uh, what else? So much stuff here. The guy's traveled and lived all over the world. He holds a Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing from the Rainier Writing Workshop. Uh, he's run tons of ultra races. Uh, he is a licensed Maine guide. And yeah, I mean, this guy does it all. Uh, very involved in the effort to push the limits of both uh, human and environmental health. And we dive into a lot of that on today's show. It's uh, just a ton of stuff. Uh, overall, great guy, great resource. Uh, look for the show notes at the end of the show for a multitude of links and topics, but also contact information for Ian. And I hope you guys enjoy. You sent me this bio, you know, the is written up off of your website, but I wanted to read a separate snippet of a bio that's off of the Aspire Adventure Running. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I just, uh, it's got a lot of different things in here. So it said, he also directs a community steel band, loves kayaking big water, drinks copious amounts of coffee, geeks out around nutrition, literature and fitness. And it was once a member of an Inuit dance troupe. So that's all true. Didn't expect it to go this route, but you got to tell me about this Inuit dance troupe because I lived in Alaska for a little bit. So what? Oh, cool. What was yeah, going so on? So I went. So um, back in the '90s, I went to the University of Alaska Fairbanks for a bit, um, and the primary thing I was kind of there to study was Native Studies, um, and they had this amazing, amazing program. That university in Fairbanks is is this really interesting? Fairbanks is a very strange. Mm -hmm. As, as you may be aware um but it's like the place you go in the world to study the northern lights or to study like the basically anything related to the north that's where you go to in in the world to study it and um they have this amazing native studies center, all these different native language programs um and like i took a class where they would bring native elders to campus and they would just live on campus for like six weeks and we would just go hang out with them and listen to them tell stories about their grandfathers who were shamans and could fly and we'd sew caribou like bladders into the waterproof bags and stuff um and uh they had an inuit dance group and um being the intrepid person that i am i was like cool i'm gonna be in this inuit dance troupe so it's me and all of these Inuit kids, and then these two Dutch exchange students who were both like six five, um, and all the Inuits were like five five, uh, and so. But it was great. We we learned all these traditional dances. We performed. We had traditional costumes. Um, they have a big native conference that happens there every year, and we performed at that. Um, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. Got to like hang out and go to potlucks where I'd eat like seal meat and walrus and caribou. The typical and... fair. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's actually a much better tipping off point than I thought it would be because that, like you said, your intrepid personality has probably led to the diversity of your, you know, background and education and career. So without going through the whole bio, cause, uh, we read that up front what are you like my first question on my list for you was how do you identify and that's supposed to be a little cheeky but like sure. are you an are you an educator are you a runner are you a writer like what would you say you actually do i usually so i usually say that i'm a writer educator and outdoor athlete okay. uh, right. and i'm just dedicated to um inspiring other human beings to develop personal agency in their lives and creativity and to build capacity so they can live wild hearted lives and love the earth. Love it, man. All right. Yeah. Um, man, we need a bumper sticker for that last part. That was awesome. <laughs> so let's, let's break it down in that order. This gives us a good mm -hmm. uh, script. So as far as writing, I know you mm -hmm. tell me what you've done in the past writing wise, cause I know you're working on some stuff right now, which we'll touch on second, but what have you, what's been focus? Uh, who have you written for? Uh, what have you done in the past? Sure. Yeah. So I've, uh, I mean, since college, I've been really dedicated to writing. I've, I've until recently, I didn't really professionalize it. Um, I've always just kind of worked at it, been gone to writing groups, writing retreats, 
Um, and then about, I guess about eight years ago, I started doing a, I did a master's in fine arts in creative writing out in the Pacific Northwest at the Rainier Writing Workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, and that took, that was a three-year program. And since then, I've been working in a really dedicated way on a poetry manuscript that I actually literally just dropped off with an editor today. Awesome. Uh, um, and I have another manuscript as well that I'm working on. Um, so I'd say that my writing has um, tended to either be poetry or nonfiction creative writing. Um, and it often has a focus on adventure or the environment, uh, the earth. Um, so that can, I, I've been really fortunate to be able to do a lot of uh, interesting travel and adventures. So a lot of writing about that. A lot of my poetry tends to focus on kind of the, I'd, I'd say sort of the existential situation that we're in of what it means to essentially be sort of like, we're, we're still these sort of paleolithic creatures or we have the same bodies and minds that we had, you know, uh, you know, a hundred thousand years ago. Um, but here we are in a world with iPhones and jets and Zoom calls and, mm -hmm. um, and globalization. And so what is it, how, how, do, how does one make sense of all that? Mm -hmm. And then I, and then, so as part of that, you know, I, there's a lot of poem and I travel a lot. So there's poems where I'm with indigenous people in the Amazon or I'm in Northern Japan um, next to a salmon stream and, you know, like trying to just kind of make sense of this like whole crazy situation. And I've been really fortunate to have really great mentors. I spent most of my twenties and early thirties, like essentially like seeking out and meeting my heroes. These sort of like older men who are tended to be environmental writers, mm -hmm. um, like kind of have a strong sense of lineage. Um, and in the last couple of years, they've actually started to pass away in a lot of cases. So I, it, it also feels like I'm carrying something on. Um, I'm just curious, who, who are some of those mentors? Yeah. Um, so um, let's see. So there's uh, just very recently a guy named Barry Lopez mm -hmm. uh, just passed away. I, I didn't know him well. I certainly had met him a number of times, but he was a big influence. Um, good friend of mine and mentor is a guy named Richard Nelson, who's an Alaska writer. Uh, he just passed away a year ago. Another guy named Sam Hamill, who um, was a poet. He was one of the most po important poets and poetry editors in America for about 40 years. Um, and this sort of like charging Zen Buddhist chain smoking crazy guy. Uh, <laughs> so people like that. Uh, I've also been influenced by people uh, like Gary Snyder was a big influence on me. He's a environmental writer from California. Um, and yeah, and there's a lot of um, people in the Pacific Northwest, a guy named Tom Jay who passed away. A lot of like a lot of people who made things with their hands, who kind of pretty close to the earth, live really soulful, thoughtful lives. Yeah, I'm actually rereading *Of Wolves and Men* by Barry Lopez right uh, now. That's fantastic and remarkable. Yeah. Um, so there's there's so many diving off points with you like um we could we could definitely have an adhd uh fed conversation i'm trying to keep sure. it linear somewhat yeah but course, yeah. like you said your first defining point is as a writer which directly bleeds into education because in the long title you direct the Kaufman program for environmental writing and wilderness exploration which mm -hmm. sounds like uh if you could tee up a perfect job for what you've explained yourself to be so far that i don't think there could be a better role is at least what the title says so what actually do you do in that role? Um, is it more creative writing? Is it more exploratory? Or are you actually doing both of those and basically doing what you've it's, done for the uh, past? So it's a combination of all those things. I mean, I, I invented the program. I, I founded the program. So, so I essentially was like, well, what would I, what, what am I passionate about? Wow. Um, and so it's a, yeah, it's, so it's an integration. It's a very interdisciplinary program. So um, I would say that the kind of the sort of cornerstone um, of the program is this program where I, I teach an environmental writing class where students learn about the history of all these different writers throughout American history, but they're also learning about public lands in America. They're learning about the environment. Um, and, um, and then, but it's focused on Glacier Bay in Alaska. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so they learn about salmon and bears and how glaciers work and 
And then at the end of the semester, we, we go to Glacier Bay in Alaska um, and we meet several of the writers that we've been reading. Um, a couple of friends of mine, a guy named Kim Hecox, another guy named Hank Lentfer, uh, who are just, they're just as amazing as, as Glacier Bay, to be quite honest. Um, and then we go out and we get dropped off with sea kayaks 55 miles from a road way up the bay. And we spend a week way out in the back country just with whales and icebergs and bears and mountains. Um, and uh, it's this really magical, extraordinary, you know, thing where essentially I, at that point, am just basically doing my best to get out of the way and like mm -hmm. make gets like burned with a camp stove uh, <laughs> <laughs> or eaten by a bear and let the magic of the place do its work. Um, you know, but they've also been reading about it and we're, they're doing writing while we're there. They, they're reflecting on it. Um, and I find it's often like more often than not, it's a life-changing experience for them. Well, let me ask you this. I'm also rereading, uh, John Muir's essays and he talks about the exploration to Glacier Bay and Muir course, Glacier, yes. but what I really, and we can, this kind of goes into another vein I was thinking when I was reading his first eight, uh, essay on the exploration of Glacier Bay of like how much these guys were like ultra endurance athletes, but like on the low key, like he would be like, oh, I'm going to go up a mountain for like 30 miles on my own and sleep at the top and then come back. And then that was like before the day started, right? <laughs> what do you, when you go on these, you know, you take students on these uh, retreats, you know, like you said, you're kind of getting out of the way. What do you think? let's tackle this a couple different ways. You said mm -hmm. a big part of the focus, of what you've been doing is kind of looking at this existential scenario that we're in, maybe more from the environmental lean. Do you think that the students that are coming into your program already have that barometer or do you feel like that's developed out there or is what's being developed out there is their own voice or a bit of both? Like what's your kind of take on what's the, what's the right. meat that they're taking out of these things? So I guess uh, what I'll say is that they intellectually know that, that that stuff is important. Um, but until they have the chance to let it just seep into their bones and to feel that sense of awe, um, like that's, that's where it changed until it's in their nervous system. Uh, they, they don't, they don't know, you know, like they, they've read about it. They understand the intellectually, you know, I can sit there and tell them about John Muir, you know, riding avalanche down the Yosemite Valley. I can tell them about whale migrations. I can tell them about all that. But when that, we get dropped off by this boat and that boat leaves and all of a sudden we're just, there's eight of us on a beach, with a bunch of gear and nothing else and consequences. <laughs> and like the, the sort of dimensions of what they're about to do kind of sink in, that's when it gets real. And as an educator, I, I just really like, I'm a big believer in putting students in situations where there are consequences because it makes you pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so for them to be able to do that, and then also for them to have the chance to just have time to let things sink in. These kids are all, you know, ju juniors and seniors in high school. They're taking AP classes. They're in three seasons of sports. They play instruments. They are booked. Mm -hmm. the entire, and then increasingly their entire lives have been booked. So just to have the chance to just sit or walk an experience um, is pretty radical, I find, for them. Yes. Uh, so maybe not even, do you think it would be the same in a different setting? I mean, you're talking about places that I wouldn't say very few people get to visit, but these are far out, yeah, you sure. know, awe-inspiring. Do you think if you just put a kid, you know, less of the sensory overload that you're going to get some of these, some of the same responses. Cause sure. that yeah, no. And, and I do that in other aspects of my program. I do things like I take middle school kids backpacking in the white mountains in New Hampshire, or I'll take our outing club and we'll, we'll backpack, you know, into one of the Appalachian mountain club huts and, you know, or we'll, I'll just take kids out and we'll spend three hours just doing a writing exercise out in the woods. Mm -hmm. so scales you know there's certainly scales of this um and they all they all do iterations of the same thing they just do it to different levels of intensity i would say when i know you're involved with physiology first which you know mm -hmm. is working on a lot of those things not just with students this is the question i want to pose to you from that because we're kind of going down this like we're you know not just changing their thoughts we're maybe changing the person from these you know experiences have you seen, because you've been at this game, it seems like for a little bit, 
-hmm. Like what's the bigger aspect here? Like, do you feel like, and this is kind of a loaded question, but if somebody's physiology is in such a state, it's hard for them to learn how to affect their physiology. Do you think it's more important to educate them first or dial in their physiology to allow them to learn or vice versa? Like, do you understand what I'm going with? Yeah, that no, of course. Chicken or egg kind of thing almost. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I think it depends on the person. Some people, some people, especially if maybe they've got certain levels of fear need to intellectually understand what they're experiencing before they can fully grab onto it. Other people are very sensory oriented. And I mean, often is not, if you can just sit there and have someone do box breathing for three or four minutes, they feel a discernible change. Mm -hmm. Right. And that can start the conversation, right? Like you can say, okay, cool. For the next three minutes, let's do this. All right. Then let's measure your heart rate. All right. Now that we've gotten there, what, let's talk about what else is possible. Um, and then I also, as part of that, I, I, and we live in this wonderful world where there's all kinds of examples of other people who are doing these things. Right. So we can, I mean, what I tell my students is they live in a time where essentially you can almost kind of be a superhero if you choose to do the right things. Right. You can, you can, if you do the Wim Hof breathing and all that, right. You can, you can thermoregulate your body and adjust your nervous system. You can do things with focusing your mind. You can, you can, so, um, so I, what, what I have tried to do is kind of lead them into a story of their lives where they understand what's possible. Um, and usually I can hook them with some pretty basic physiological exercises mm -hmm. uh, and maybe some movement stuff too. That can be really useful. You know, just sitting like, okay, what are the mechanics behind jumping? What are the me mechanics behind landing? How does the arch of your foot work? Mm -hmm. How does your back work? How do you lift things? You know? so I'm super interested. What, like, why? And again, it shouldn't, it makes sense to me. So maybe I'm asking this question for somebody. Why do you think all these things are connected in your mind? Like why you're out there create, like teaching creative sure. writing in a crazy wilderness setting. Also mm -hmm. maybe talking about breathing physiology and then the arch of your foot. Like a lot of people are like, dude, that's like so far apart. But I think you and I are on the same page of like, no, they may be, you know, largely intertwined. Like, why do you think this is, you've gotten to this place where these are the things you're focused right. on? I, well, I'm trying to give human beings access to the full range of their human potential and genetic inheritance as a way to help them have a sense of agency and power in the world um, and to like serve, serve others, essentially. Um, and, you know, first of all, if you, if you all of a sudden can do something you didn't think you could do, that's really powerful because then it asks the, it begs the question, well, well what else is possible? Mm -hmm. And um, if you go to a place that you didn't know was possible, you're like, well, what, what else is possible? So anytime I find that I can, I can sort of switch on those parts of someone's brain, it switches on a whole, there's a whole other cascade of events that happen inside of them um, that can open up all kinds of different things. Um, you know, and if you're, if you're moving correctly and then you, you know, if you're, if you're in Glacier Bay you don't, and you're watching a bear, bears know how to move. Mm -hmm. Human beings don't know how to move, <laughs> unfortunately, right? So, so all of a sudden you see things start to line up because at the end of the day, right, we're just 206 bones trying to balance themselves in space. That's at the end mm -hmm. of the day we are, right? So, so trying to help them connect with what, what, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of ancestors have been able to do, um, and all of the hidden reserves of strength and capacity that often I think ended up getting kind of muted by the modern world. What's your opinion on, do you think the, again, we keep saying this, the situation we find ourselves in, I think we're both saying that it's not the best situation, right? For humans, mm -hmm. both from a health and an environmental health standpoint, but right. do you think that disconnect starts with personal like the internal environment or the external environment like do you think it's the fact that we're right. so disconnected from the world that that's what creates disease or this you know or is it that like we're we don't even realize how human we are and how connected we are to the earth like which way do you think it works sure i mean i think the two are intimately connected i mean on a basic level uh the physical probably on a on a certain baseline probably makes the most difference. If you're not getting sunlight, if you're, if you're sitting in a chair under fluorescent lights, not moving, 
you know, eating Fritos and drinking Diet Coke all day, like you're inherently like limiting your capacity right there, regardless of what's going on inside of you. Um, now there are remarkable people who do that and still have rich inner lives and that's beautiful. Um, but I do think that on like a sort of a very structural level that makes a difference. Um, but that also ties into your sort of emotional mental life. Um, I mean, the, the dimensions of just trying to make sense of a world where we're constantly being bombarded by information, mm-hmm. attention is being hijacked, um, you know, all of, you know, all of that obvious, you know, I mean, we did not evolve to know what was going on in the entire world and to have Twitter bombarding us all. So, so learning how to manage a way through that is, mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Um, and, and, I, and I think that while you, you can certainly make an argument that the modern world is not ideal, um, on the other hand, if you can learn to skillfully move through it, I think it's pretty freaking incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting time to be alive. Um, I think that because of the tools that we have access to, if you can learn the kind of discipline and skillfulness of moving through that, I think that there is a lot that's possible. Um, and, and, and now we're starting to see this interesting moment where all of a sudden medicine and science and Eastern, you know, Chinese medicine and electronics and all these different things are talking to each other and things that seemed kind of utterly disconnected before are now starting to be connected. You talk about these disciplines to move through life a little more, you know, fluidly or effortlessly mm-hmm. and, you know, en- enriched what, like, what are a handful of those disciplines or do you, do you have, you know, principles that you lay out to your students or other people that you work with? Like, what do you think lays at the, let's say the basis of just the inner, you know, your world, not our, our bigger environment, which we'll get to next. Sure. I mean, so, I mean, I, I start with just sort of very ba- I mean, anybody that's kicking ass in the world these days, you know, is getting sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you can measure it with a whoop strapper and aura ring or take magnesium, da, 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 da. but you don't have to, like, you can just get sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And they're high, you know, you, you hydrate, um, some kind of movement practice, um, which can be walking down your driveway or it can be doing obscure Russian kettlebell exercise, like, like, and both are great, <laughs> you know, um, you know, those things are important. Some aspect of mindfulness, I think, is really important. Um, and again, I, I've done long Vipassana retreats and spent time at Buddhist monasteries and things like that. Um, but you can also probably just sit there for five minutes. And that's a lot better than checking your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that that's, that's useful. I mean, again, with anything, you can go as deep as, as you want. Um, some kind of goal setting practice, I think is, is often pretty useful for people as human beings were designed to go after like high, hard goals. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't often, it, it's not good for us emotionally. Um, and those high, hard goals don't have to be world peace. They could be just like raising your kids, uh, or like, you know, or, 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 you know, but, but something along those lines, uh, I think getting outside is really mm-hmm. is important. Uh, like sunlight, water, um, those kind of things. Um, those are kind of probably the basic ones. Maybe, maybe some, some creativity in there, doing something creative. And again, it doesn't have to be with a capital C, um, but just making something or putting something together, just accessing those parts of your brain. I think those things are, I think if you're doing some of those sort of very basic things, it just switches on parts of you um, and allows parts of you to flourish. You know, like just getting, I mean, just getting sleep alone Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's how you that's half of learning that's growth hormones you know that's down regulating your nervous system you know so i think all yeah all of those things on like a those are sort of basic practices that i think are, are really useful um and you can do them to whatever extent fits into your life so one thing i didn't hear mentioned there is struggle or adversity which the reason i asked that is i know that you're also heavily involved in ultra running so mm-hmm. the first question we have to ask is, do you view ultra running or running in general through the lens of a challenge, a struggle, overcoming something, or for you, is it just pure pleasure? 
because I think oh I'm, no it's a, it's a <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when I was running the 100 mile wilderness uh in September and uh with 25 miles left to go my knee stopped working 25 miles was not pure pleasure it was it was <laughs> you know it was it was pretty much pure pain and but that's what I signed up for 100%. Uh, and I think that again it's with all these things how you frame it Right. Do you, if you frame it in a way where you can learn from it and it makes you stronger, um, I think it's really, really useful. Um, you know, I also know people who use that kind of struggle probably to mask other underlying emotional mm -hmm. issues. And that's not interesting to me. And, and that is definitely like a concern. Um, but I, you know, as human beings, life's going to come at you. And part of being a strong human being is being able to adjust and pivot and deal with struggle, as we've seen in the past year. Um, so struggle is very important. And that's and I, that's one of the things I love about ultra running. It's 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 training for that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, ultra running, kind of like all the things we're talking about, it integrates all these things. It's, it's, right. it's nature, it's physiology, it's exercise, it's movement, it's social, it's meditation. It's um, but yes, I struggle. I mean, we're designed to struggle as human beings. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of where you're headed, you know, like making a robust human mm -hmm. adding, which we have to add the edifice of challenge nowadays, because it's not necessarily in our everyday lives as much as it should be some people more than others right. based on career choices, geography, things like that. Mm -hmm. But is this too simplistic? And I, again, I'm going to tee it up for you. Is it too simplistic to say, if you want to, you know, as cliche as it is change the world, change yourself first. Cause that's what I'm hearing. Like you need to start like creating a better human. So then you interact in a different way, not necessarily positive or negative, but differently with your right. environment. Do you think that's crucial or do you think, you know, obviously some of, I'm sure some of your, you know, mentors, some of the conservationists that we would both look up to aren't doing these things. Right. But they're still making change on this, this bigger uh, schema, this macro environment. So where do you think people, you know, if there was a hierarchy and they are thinking about these big existential questions, is it, hey, start with you first, or is it, hey, you know, worry about these things? Because I always think about these chicken and eggs, right? If I want to drink more water, but my water quality is not great, or I want to mm -hmm. eat better food, but the food I have around me isn't of high quality, like, where do people start on this journey? Is it with them? Is it with the environment? Like, where's that jump off point? I mean, you start where you are, right? So if... If, if you have good water, you drink good water. And if you don't have good water, you know, I remember, I remember uh, as a kid being in the Soviet Union and brushing my teeth with Pepsi because you couldn't drink. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather like cut off my head of the hacksaw generally than drink Pepsi at this point in my life uh, most of the time. But like, if that's what you got, that's what you got. Right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, one of the things I love is that because we have such a crazy um, range of humanity and situations, it's just always fascinating seeing the, the creative workarounds that people do in whatever situation they're in. So I'm not gonna endeavor to say that, you know, my opinion is right, but I will say like, if you have a chance to like get sleep and drink water and, and eat nutritious food, um, if that's an option, that's just gonna increase your capacity to those other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of put on your oxygen mask first for put on something exactly. else. It's like yeah. and that's kind of the way I look at it. And obviously I'm biased and teeing things up from even my perspective. But I mean, that's kind of the point of this podcast in general is like there's different ways to think about things than like, oh my God, there's these crushing large world scope issues that you just feel like are intangible to touch. And it's like, maybe you don't have to touch them, right? Like you can affect your personal environment right. and then you have these ripple effects um, I mean, moving away from like these, you know, these crises talk of like fixing health and fixing the world, it is a luxury to put yourself in the, the way of adversity, right. With running or whatever you choose to do. Of course. Why do you think that's becoming more popular? Like, I don't think trail running and ultra running is just becoming more popular because people want to do trail running. There's, you know, there's something there right. that either it's filling a void or I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, why do you think that's just blown up in the past decade right i mean we are wired we are wired for challenge and adversity adversity um and uh and i we can point to many different sort of evolutionary mechanisms uh that probably cause that 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at obstacle course racing, if you look at mutter, if you look at CrossFit, I mean, we can go down the line. There's a lot of things like that, that, that people, um, you know, people could be sitting on their couches watching, you know, uh, watching the Kardashians and they're choosing to do hard things. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, we can sit here and be like, I can tell you like, and you know this, if I, if I do a, a challenging thing, I get a whole cascade of neurochemicals that also make me feel really good, mm-hmm. right? Um, I get stronger. Um, I gain more confidence. Um, so I think there's, I th- but, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to the fact that we are, we are wired to do hard things. And we've been, we're in many of us, not all, and certainly not all of us, but are in this world where if we chose to, we could be sitting in front of a screen all day. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's and my great fears. My great fears is that five or 10 years from now, most of the world is going to be like drooling on themselves in VR headsets. Um, but I think that um, despite the more, it's almost like the more that we move in that direction, the more people need these other things. Right. Uh, yeah. That's and, a good point. and I see that with students, you know, because it lights up all these different uh, sort of different mechanisms in our bodies that we don't have access to otherwise. Um, and that touch some of the, like the deepest parts of our heritage. Well, and it's no, di- and it is different, but it's a good example. Like you could take an exceptional virtual reality tour of Glacier Bay. That's probably nowhere mm-hmm. near as inspiring as being there, especially if that is to like get the creative juices going for some like, you know, product writing or, you know, photography, like, and I think that's what, like you, I, you know, I don't know if I'd say it's a fear. It's definitely a worry that like, we're, we think we have access to all these things, you know, the outdoors exercise on a treadmill that looks like I'm running with somebody Mm -hmm. on a trail. And I think it actually like draws us further away from, you know, the, whatever we want to call that, you know, it's been idealized as this like Pleistocene man or whatever we want to say it is, but I think some of the misconceptions come from, you know, some people want to go back to this anthro age and it's like, well, it's somewhere in the middle, right? This stuff's not going away. And like you said, it's just like the medicine side, like Eastern medicine, technology, you know, uh, you know, the typical allopathic model are all meeting in the middle. And I think that's like where humans have to be. Like you can't throw one out. We're not all going to go back and live in, you know, uh, hunter gatherer village, but we're also not meant to be under fluorescent lights all day in an office for 12 hours. Like there has to be happy mediums. So that being said, what I know we talked a little bit about, you know, the things that trail running for you, it's like, yeah, it's incorporating all these things. Is there something else? Is there something under the, the hood there? Yeah. It's good to say like it's exercise and it's meditation, like, is there another driver? I know there's a lot of people that like, like you said, it's a, it's a demon bashing experience. They're like mm-hmm. pushing other things away. Is there anything hidden under the hood of running for you? Like where it's not just like, Hey, I'm doing it for the benefit of me. Like I find this thing there. Yeah, I think I am. Um, it's a great question. I guess I would say at the end of the day, I, I love the integration of all these different things. I, I would say that's, you know, I mean, I can certainly point to the fact that it gives me a sense of, it just lights up all the parts of myself. I, th- I think at the end of the day, that's probably the deepest thing is, is you know, if you, you know, whether, whether it's meditation or flow science or anything like that, it all points to being in the deep now, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be present, you want to show up for your life. And trail running is an excellent practice for that because when you're moving down a trail and there's rocks and there's trees and there's mud, if you're not paying attention, you will fall. Consequences. We're back to that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it forces you to pay attention. Um, and at the same time, while it's doing it, you're getting this big load of, you know, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. Your mind is quiet. Your body is quiet. Your blood is flowing. You're seeing animals. Uh, animals are seeing you. <laughs> um, you are exposed to the weather. You're smelling things. You're hearing things. Um, and many of those like aspects of our humanity are often um, a little bit insulated otherwise. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I really ap appreciate that. And then I really appreciate the ability to go deep, you know, to really, to, to go to those deep challenging places. Um, I think it's, I think, you know, as the, you know, you, you can choose your stress or your, your stress can choose you. Right. So, um, I, I think to be able to put yourself in that kind of hormesis is, is super valuable. And I think what I kind of filtered out of that was awareness, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the micro awareness of like the trail, but then all these things that then heighten your human awareness overall. Mm -hmm. um, I know that, uh, I mean, you run in races. Uh, tell me a little bit about what do you do for Aspire Adventure Running? I know you're a guide, but what, like, what's that entail? Are you taking people out on yeah, so I just started, I mean, that's pretty recent. So a couple of years ago, I did the Territory Run Camp. Mm -hmm. um, and I would I, I, I did a little teaching and presenting at that, um, which was fantastic. And Aspire was involved with that. And the guy who started Aspire, Abram, is a beautiful person. Um, he and I really connected. He also has been an educator. Um, and we just like, I mean, we, I think we just sat down to drive. We, you know, he picked us up. And we hopped in the van and like, he and I just talked for an hour straight. I was like, I, I, I can do this. Um, and I just love what they're doing. I just love mm -hmm. what doing because he, he, again, he has a pretty holistic view um, and a really healthy view of, uh, of kind of the possibilities of running and moving through landscape and using it as a way to sort of educate people, but also just have fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've done a number of these kind of trail running camp kind of things over the years. And it's fascinating how, because of that sort of interdisciplinary aspect, and probably because the people it attracts, they end up being really soulful, thoughtful experiences. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not like everybody's just like, all right, uh, what, what's your heart rate monitor say? All right, you know, like people tend to, you have some really deep conversations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I've, I've started, I'll be guiding for Aspire this summer. Uh, I think quite a bit, uh, especially around Mount Rainier, the Wonderland Trail. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about building out some other programs that kind of integrate some aspects of writing, and meditation as well. Um, there's some different um, mountains in the North Cascades where some of the different poets from the beat generation, including people like Gary Snyder and Jack Kerouac, worked as fire lookouts. So doing a trip where we we go to those places and we look at Chinese poetry and we we do some meditation stuff. Um, and yeah, I just really, I really like what Aspire is doing. I do, I do a lot of writing for them, create a mm -hmm. lot of, um, and it's a chance to dig in, you know, cause it's not just, oh, we're going to go run Yosemite, but it's like, we're going to run Yosemite and we're going to learn about the geology of Yosemite. Mm -hmm. And we're going to learn about how John Muir uh, came here and basically started the modern environmental movement of America. Um, so, so yeah contextualizes it a bit and exactly. adds layers. When it, one thing we didn't mention out of all of this kind of health and wellness is that, you know, whatever you want to call it, spirituality aspect, the soulfulness of it. But what's kind of funny to me, and I just want to hear, you know, general comments on this, like trail running gets a bit of a slapstick facade sometimes, right? You have to be kind of like, I don't really care, right? Like it's cool not to like, you know, be that right. into it. And if you're in, too into it or too competitive, it's not cool. Right. And, you got to be goofy. Like I, I a hundred percent agree. Like I find a huge, you know, soul filling aspect to being mm -hmm. on the trail and in particular by myself sometimes, right? Like whether that's just being in the outdoors or, you know, maybe it's the neurochemical cascade and that's how I'm perceiving it. But like, what are your take, you know, what's your take on that? Cause I know some people would like to talk about that more, but they feel, I think some of the stigma of trail running is like, you got to be this kind of like laissez-faire like oh, it's just trail running like just drink a beer and you're cool it's a big room you know it's trail running <laughs> yeah. for lots of people yeah i mean that you know like i think it's really cool to see um all these like you know super fast d division former division one runners who are just kind of lighting the world on fire um they're professionalizing it too and i think there's good and bad things about that mm -hmm. but like it's it's like again like it's cool to see what human beings can do um, and also we're seeing people do like interesting experiments and adventures and link ups and projects where they're trying other things. Um, and then there's other people who are getting uh, communities of people who might not have opportunity to those trails out on trails. And that's great too. Or people who are focusing on ways to integrate that with service. Um, so I, 
I think it's all good. You know, I think that, that it's, you know, the, all these trails and the landscape is a canvas and anything we can do that's generative is, is really positive. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be gunning for like a uh, ticket to Western States. You know, I'm not going to be winning, uh, you know, one of the golden tickets anytime soon. Um, but I think it's, I know people who are, and I yeah. think that's too. But you're also doing pine to palm, which you have to, I mean, it's a yeah. lottery system. You got to qualify. Yeah, exactly. That. So exactly. I mean, you're doing big exactly. stuff, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is a good lead in because you're saying, you know, there are people that are professionalizing running and I don't, I have no clue if this is towards, um, you know, athletes are running. Cause you just put in, Hey, I'm starting a coaching business later this winter. What, mm-hmm. is, what are you coaching? Is that running? Um, yeah, it's going to be, I'm going to be coaching. Um, it'll be mostly focused on sort of helping people to realize their goals. Um, there may be, I think there will be opportunities to add things like nutrition, health movement stuff to like, um, but I think it'll be mostly just helping people. You know, I find there's a lot of people in the world who, um, would benefit from having someone who can help them to kind of sharpen and hone their interests, passions, curiosities, motivations, and goals, and then hold them accountable and guide them as they work toward that. Mm-hmm. Um, particular, um, I think one area that I'm, I have a real strength there is with teenagers. Um, I find that I, I, I mean, I, I do this anyway. I like, I don't really think of myself as a teacher, actually. I think I'm sort of like this weird coach magician guy more than I am. A, yeah, I teach with a couple of people who I think are like phenomenal, like pure classroom teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I certainly teach in a classroom, but what I do is like a little different. Uh, I, I always think of myself, I'm sort of like that crazy uncle who teaches you how to get into the right kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, but, but to, so to, to walk that line of, of saying, okay, let's push things a little further than you thought were possible. And then let's figure out, let's, let, then let's reverse engineer a process to get you there. Mm-hmm. And that can be creatively, that can be uh, other life goals. It could be athletically, um, any of those things. Yeah. I like it. So, I mean, there's a lot of parallels through everything that you do, right? Um, you're taking mm-hmm. students out on these, you know, expeditions you're taking people out on trail running adventures with aspire all of it has kind of a vein of you know push limits but at the same time raise awareness and then for you in particular it seems like the awareness is putting down onto the you know through the written word like you're trying to kind of Mm -hmm. like hone all that or titrate it um there's also a a big movement with the kind of the health and fitness world of and we mentioned this very briefly of tracking things right you mentioned mm-hmm. ordering whoop band um i mean you can like the running data is just its own little beast <laughs> when it comes to coaching and I'm, I'm curious uh do you think that's i mean obviously some of it's helpful so we can't just paint it black or white but like again do you think there's different ways to approach um health metrics or understanding you know am i improving at running or how's my sleep um we mentioned a little bit but like that's such a common question to me. Like, do you use any of those things? Do you think, are you going to use right. any with your clients? Like what's right. your take right. on that? Uh, I mean, I guess my thought, it, my initial thought is always, it depends what someone's emotional relationship with those metrics <laughs> right? If they yeah. are a source of uh, motivation and that's great. Mm-hmm. If anxiety, that's not so great. Um, and so off, you know, I mean, I've, I've got an aura ring charging down below me. Uh, you know, I've got heart rate monitors. I've, you know, I, 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 I play around in that world. Um, but I also take it all with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's an interesting thing to use. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, it's not a substitute for other things, you know, right. like, like, you know, I have run with a heart rate strap, um, but at this point, I know my own body well enough that most of the time I don't really think I have to. Um, and there are times when I get my like sleep metric reading, and I'm like, yeah, actually, I I'm pretty sure that that's a little off. I, I'm pretty actually like the ring didn't quite get it right, <laughs> you know. Um, but that information is useful. But I always, you know, what I see a lot of is I see people who that becomes another source of anxiety. 
Right. You know, they're they're checking this, they're checking this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get this better. I need to get this better. And like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you should put that away for a little bit and 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 ask what it is that you're actually trying to measure here. Well, and it gets back to awareness, right? Those things are yeah. originally designed to draw awareness via metrics, but then like you said, you've created a better connection, maybe through some of the data, right? That it helped you see things, but you're like, I know how I feel, but people are so disconnected, right? From their own body, from what good, you know, air quote, Mm -hmm. good feels like. Um, Here's my question on a lead-in. Is there anything that exists that creates an environmental pulse that's reliable? What I mean there's not an aura ring for the environment at large, right? Obviously we have air quality, right. water quality. Like, do you think there's anything that exists out there that can help people have a pulse on their like local environment or like, you know, sources of information, like things that like people are distilling mm. things. Cause that's what an aura ring does, right? It takes data, sure. it has an yeah, algorithm yeah, yeah, and yeah. it gives you information. Like what can people tap into to get a little more connected with like local environmental, not issues, but like what's actually going on. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, everything from, um, I mean, there's, there, yeah, I mean, so, so here, I, I, right now, I'm in the coast of Maine. If I, if I look out the window, I can see, I see the water right out there, the ocean. Wow. Um, so everything for I, keeping track of, you know, what, uh, what are the fishermen seeing? What, what's the, mm-hmm. fish, what's the, what's the water acidity? Um, weather. You know, I, I have a I have a former advisee who's a, he's a college student now, but he's the top teenage meteorologist in America. He's since he was like six years old, he's been this like weather, <laughs> um, you know. Um, he was on the Weather Channel in like eighth grade. Um, wow. Uh, but like, it's really interesting to talk to him because he mm-hmm. can make a real sense. Like, okay, so let's talk about storms. Are they getting more intense? Are they not getting more intense? You know, how how much of this is hubris? How much of this is real? Um, I think it's an opportunity to talk to scientists, to talk to farmers, um, to spend time outside. That's like, you know, I, I have, and, and, and to sort of just sort of gather a picture from all of those different things. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I do a lot of work. Um, so my partner, uh, Heidi Asbjornsson, is a professor at the University of New Hampshire. Um, she teaches forestry. Um, and she does a lot of climate change research all over the world. So I spend a lot of time with, re- with scientists and I do a lot of writing kind of basically taking what they are studying and translating that to layman's terms. Um, and so it's interesting because they are in a place now where they are taking metrics and doing all this, but they're also talking to local farmers. They're also mm-hmm. uh, working with community leaders um, and, and finding, you know, finding all those different stories. Um, I mean, the, the environmental issues are so complex and so interrelated that, um, you know, you can't just plunk an aura ring on a tree. I, now, that we're going to see a, an incredible growth of technology that will do some of those things. Um, but I, again, it's, it's an interesting moment where we're still, we're still early on in those days, I guess. But I love that answer because I think back, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, so... Mm-hmm it's the, the conversation always revolves around weather, which as a kid, you're like, what in the hell? Why are old people talking? But then as you get older, which it's got, it's changed, right? Weather used to determine your daily, you know, what you're going to do work-wise and things like that. Right. But you see when people, small things like that, this is a perfect answer. It's like a single metric off of your, you know, HRV, let's say that in a human. Mm-hmm. And then you look at weather People maybe look at the app on their phone so they know what like to put a code on or something, but they have no clue about like, you know, the patterns on a large scale, you know, a weekly, monthly, you know, seasonal basis. But like, these are the things that like create awareness. Like Steve Rennell, I see your aspiring bow hunter talks about like when his kids go to a new place, he says, pick out three animals and pick out three trees and identify them because you want to become connected Mm -hmm. to your environment. And again, we keep circling around this awareness piece, right? And I just love that you're like, the way to put your pulse on the environment is like, talk to the people that have the pulse on the environment, right? Farmers, scientists, the, you know, simple things, you know, it doesn't have to be like hard data. And I think rarely does hard data change minds, right? And that gets into maybe the the expressive part of it. Like, how do you actually use the information, which is my next question. Mm -hmm. Um, You yourself, it sounds like, I don't know if your goal is to, 
inspire people to change. It sounds like it is from a health standpoint somewhat, but when we talk about these big issues, is it your writing? Is it your message? Like, what do you think that you personally and others could do to kind of, you know, I hate to use the word motivate or inspire, but like, Mm -hmm. what do we do to create change? Yeah, I, I guess the thing that I, oh, I can see two bald eagles flying outside right now. Woo, amazing. Stuff like that would create change if people would get outside and yeah, see it. No, right, right. So I think so much <laughs> of it comes down to heightening emotional involvement and creating empathy. Okay. I guess that's the, if, if you're emotionally involved, you care. And if you care, you act. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so much of it comes down, you know, I can sit here. And I can talk about, um, man, these two eagles are just like going at it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> dog fighting right now. Um, so, so much of it comes down to, um, yeah, moving like, you know, we, it, because we are, we live in stories. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a big Barry Lopez thing. Barry Lopez, one of his big Barry Lopez things is tell a story that helps. That was, that was a big Barry Lopez thing he would always say. Um, and, you know, we don't think in terms of data, right? When we're little kids, our parents don't read, don't read us bedtime data. <laughs> well, right? if you have certain parents, they might. But. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, you know, I can respect that. But, um, but, I, but I think, so I guess the thing that I try to do is try to, through what I do or connecting people through other things, it's all creating stories that move us toward, uh, a sense of empathy and caring and emotional involvement. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I can sit here and talk about ecosystem services and da, 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 da. Um, but at the end of the day, that doesn't tend to emotionally connect with most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so telling them about the two bald eagles and how, you know, 35 years ago, there was one bald eagle left in the state of Maine and now they're hundreds. That, 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 that's a story that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think trying to find those kind of stories and, th- and that's where writing comes in. Um, but you can tell stories through film. You can tell stories through podcast. There's a, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, but I think that's the, at the end of the day, I think telling a story that helps, I think is a really, is a, to me, that's, that's kind of the, the crux of the matter. Well, you can tell you're a storyteller just by nature, because whether you try or not, you create circles. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a good thing to, you know, encapsulate this stuff but to think that you know the emotion you know if we broke down the etymology of that of just the movement that's in there and we've talked about human movement and you know moving our bodies through running and then what it takes to actually create change and I mean I just think that's a beautiful way to put it and you know hopefully through you know whatever it is your writing or other avenues or experiencing things themselves you know it comes down to changing emotion or uh, creating emotion to create change I would say Mm -hmm. um anything else exciting um different uh even way off like things that you're just thinking you know like you talked about pushing the limits um personally you know globally like what do you think and I know you're working on books I know you're working on coaching but is there anything like way off in the distance you're like man if I could ever do this or if I could ever you know see a group of people do this this would just be amazing is there anything that's like way off in the distance that's just like pie in the sky for you like that Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I guess the thing, yeah, the thing that I'm waiting for is for there to be uh, essentially uh, some kind of global movement uh, that builds enough energy so that we can we can deal with essentially extinction uh, and climate change. Until right now, we're kind of in a moment where there's lots of people individually doing things. There's little patches here and there doing it. But until we have national and international legislation um, that really tackles that head on in a meaningful way, um, we're, still, we're still just kind of throwing pebbles in the ocean. Um, so I guess that's, that's at the end of the day, that's the thing that I look in terms of like thinking like big. Right. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Um, for myself, I, I'm looking forward to... Um, over the next few years, publishing some different books and continuing to build out like educational opportunities for people um, to be able to access these different parts of themselves. Um, and I think that I think that I think that we're entering a period. I like everybody's been saying, "Oh man, I can't wait for 2020 to be over," which I, I fair enough. But 
I also, I'm not sure that, I think we have a period of, of long-term disruption coming up. You know, I think about my grandmother who was born in 1914 and the first 30 years of her life included World War One, the Spanish flu, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, and World War II. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty intense run. Yeah. And I we're probably heading toward a, a similar, I think we're just in a moment where we kind of need to reinvent a lot of our institutions um, and aspects of our culture and our assumptions about the world. And you can kind of see everything kind of fragmenting. Um, and I think it's not going to be easy, um, but it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm trying to do is sort of lean into that and sort of point the ways to some different things that might be generative and hopeful and collaborative um, as we move through that process. Yeah. I mean, it's just like physiology, right? A muscle has to break down before it grows and rebuilds exactly. and having a coach to guide that process, you know, or many out there like yourself is always helpful. So it's, you could, yeah. you could just keep breaking down and, uh, nothing ever comes of it. That's, you know, fruitful. So I really, really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, well, man, we could talk for like literally hours on each, like these are, we've, we're talking about these topics. Like they're just like drops in a bucket, like, Oh, human health. <laughs> oh, environmental fracture. Like right. they're so big, but like, that's also kind of how I wanted to approach this is that it's great. Yeah. Where do you start with these things? You don't just like him haw about how big they are. You get into the weeds. You kind of, like you said, you lean into it and you say, Hey, this is what I can do today. You know? And some people, a have a bigger concern to start with and some are going to have more motivation to you know go further down those paths for people that you know i don't care if it's a teenager student out there a person that's in school you know graduate school just a you know lay person listening to this where you know how how can they learn more about like how to you know push or like better their human physiology like where would you guide people like who are some resources i mean yourself included but mm -hmm. like what's helped you what have you used or what have been some of the biggest things that have right. shaped you right i mean so and, and my story is actually is quite interesting in that i um i'd say that i was quite a, i was a pretty healthy person through my 20s and early 30s um but i i when i was 35 i was diagnosed with testicular cancer oh wow which, you know, and then sort of that sort of kicked off probably a five, 10 year period of sort of changing how I did things and reinventing myself, um, which just led to a lot of things. I'm, I was doing some of these things before, but it's definitely like I turned the dial way up on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that's, that one of the things I benefited from and that I think um, people can benefit from now is there's all this information is available for free. I mean, that's, that's the thing mm -hmm. that's if you're a curious, motivated person, you can teach yourself astrophysics now. Um, you know, I mean, to me, education at this point is less about the content and it's more about curating passion, curiosity, and motivation. Because mm. once you have that, you can go on Khan Academy, you can go on YouTube, you can go, uh, you can, you can find out so much. You can learn so much. And maybe also learning how to like think critically and discern yeah. as we're being sort of in the modern media environment. But, um, but I think that, um, I mean, Instagram is full of amazing people, people, uh, I mean, so part of the, the training community, I'm part of the Distance Project. We have a really uh, great online platform that we've created, Physiology First, uh, that I, this, this nonprofit that I'm involved with, I'm on the board of. We're actually just uh, rolling out Physiology First University, um, and we have all these different free modules. Um, I, I did one on the Science of Mindset recently. Mm -hmm. It's a five, five videos pretty basic stuff just on like growth mindset and you know all the all the positive mindset things you can do um so those are great places you can learn from whether it's kelly starrett or katie st Clair, people like brian mckenzie um pat davidson there's a lot of there's just a lot of people out there putting out a lot of really good information these days um so um it's and there's more every day mm -hmm. Really exciting. So, um, if you're curious and you're motivated, uh, it's it's endless. It's and it gets back to the emotional motivation part, right? Like you said, it's the all the information's out there. It's what's going to pique somebody's interest or you know, yeah, spark change. 
Um, I'm curious, and maybe you don't have titles, maybe you're not allowed to share uh, either one of the books you're coming out with, or their titles, do we know when they're coming yeah, out? Yeah, so the, uh, the first one, uh, the title is called Hackable Animal, Okay. Uh, which is, uh, it's, a, it's based on a quote from the Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of the idea that uh, we are these animal, we're essentially animals as human beings, but essentially we're moving into a world where we're being hacked um, by media and technology and as AIs move into the world that will just increase. Uh, and the other, the other book that I'm working on um, is uh, the, the working title, I don't know if I may say this, I may not, it's called Poems of Mountains and Poems of Love. And they're just like very simple elemental poems about being in the woods, trail running, being in the mountains. Yeah, so those are those are the two primary things I'm working on right now. Man, uh, really interested in Hackable Animal. All of Harari's work obviously is awesome. I'll link to his books. Yeah. Just great reads, great mind. Um, when do you have any idea when that book is set to? Um, I think it'll probably. I'm gonna guess it'll be out either. I, I've, I've talked to a couple different publishers. I'm sort of right now sort of editing with a, we're working with an editor on the manuscript and then I'll be um, shopping it some more, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to guess it'll probably be out in 2022 would be my guess. Nice. All right. Well, like you said, we're, there's a crest, I don't even know if the wave's cresting, maybe it's the swell of the building <laughs> um, of things that are being reconfigured and broken down. So here's something that I want to put my personal spin on that, I think sometimes people like myself or you can be demotivated because we think that there's a lot of that information already being, you know, issued out there or that, Hey, what's my opinion matter on these things. And I think that at no other time is it more important when there's more information out there to get the best information possible, which is only going to happen if you have more, right? It's like science. You want more data points, not less of the same voices. And that's kind of what I wanted to say to anybody listening. If you, if you have an idea, and then sometimes those ideas are unsubstantiated. The way that they become substantiated is experience, learning, knowledge, you know, conversations. And it sounds like you have a wealth of all of those things. So mm-hmm. that's, again, why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Because if people like you are putting out information, whether people agree or not, it, it begs listening, right? And that's maybe something we're missing overall in society right now is the ability to listen, maybe not agree but then at the same time you learn and then you may round Mm -hmm. back um so just off that i wanted to say thank you so much for a being on the podcast but mostly just what you're doing like to be this you know whatever we want to call it an eclectic uh as my wife would say an adhd hobbyist um but maybe we call it a polymath right you're you're grabbing all these things and becoming a master at some and you know just a dabbler at all but it's it's just Mm -hmm. great and i think we need more people doing that um, any last kind of, you know, messages or things that you want to say, or, you know, anything else you want to kind of push? I mean, this is, like I said, it's too much to dive into with you. I wanted to introduce you to people from my crowd and have a conversation mm-hmm. and meet you, even though it's virtually, hopefully we meet in person someday, but yeah. anything you want to leave us with, um, before we get off here today? Um, I would just encourage people to, um, to lean into the challenges in your life and in the larger world and use them as opportunities for growth um, and to do what you can to change the world in a positive direction. Uh, I guess the thing that I, I, I want to create strong human beings that, that, that's one of, who have a sense of agency in the world and can move things in the right direction. And it's my belief that pretty much everybody has so much more capacity than they believe. Um, and so realize for anybody listening, realize you can do so much more than you've just touched the very tip of it. And, uh, what's possible is, is not only really important, but it's also really fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just listening. Uh, sorry. I had one more thing. I was listening to, okay. uh, Jimmy Chin on Michael Gervais podcast. And I was just listening to that too. So Michael Gervais kept saying, which it really resonated with me. Yeah. this inner exploration, right? There's not a lot that hasn't been explored in our world, right? Yeah. The oceans and, you know, but like those are also seem inaccessible to a lot of people, the depths of you, (laughs) 
are basically endless. And that's kind of what, what I love that you're saying here. So I a hundred percent agree. And I'm, I love that we ended on that, but again, thank you so much for your time. I'm really jealous that you're looking at warring bald eagles over the ocean as I'm looking at my office wall. Right here. <laughs> well, <laughs> so you just have to come, come to Maine and visit and then you can, you can, you can see it too. And that's my cue to get outside and take some of your advice. Um, <laughs> so thanks again. And I'm going to put, I've got links to a lot of the stuff that you mentioned from physiology first to aspire adventure running. We'll have links. I'll have um, ways to contact you, um, everything that you're comfortable with. And again, thank you so much for taking your time, man. Oh, thank you so much, Bo. I really appreciate it. This is fantastic. You did a great job. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks. What a great podcast and what a great guy. Can't thank Ian enough for uh, being on the show. I appreciate you guys listening as always. If you don't mind, head over to whatever uh, listening venue you're on. Leave us a review. Five stars appreciated. Leave us a comment, feedback. If you have questions, you can always reach out to me at Dr. Bo Beard, Dr. Bo Beard at gmail.com. Uh, one other little favor, if you don't mind heading over to my newest project, foxruncoach.com. Uh, back in the run coaching game, everything from 5K, 10K, trail, ultra, got a couple coaches that have joined me now. Uh, the deal at Fox Run Coaching is all of our coaches are in training to or already are licensed chiropractors, physical therapists, or physicians, which means that that allows us to tackle your running goals with you in a way that optimizes uh, your output or performance while limiting injuries as much as possible. So head over to Fox Run Coach and yeah look us up, uh, see what you think. And again, appreciate you guys for listening. See you next time.